Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Just the few of us who are here in the room. This might be a little different feel for some of us today because it's just a small group of us. But we are in the presence of our King. And I'd like for us to take some time to pray together. I'd like to invite you to participate in this, to pray as I prompt and the various things that come up. And as we enter into this, I'd like us to think about something that maybe is uncommon for us. What we're about to do is kingdom work. It's not just reciting nice ideas. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not simply trying to string together concepts and ideas that sound good. It's none of that. We are entering into a a time of kingdom work asking God to move in certain situations. It's a powerful thing we're invited to do. So I'm going to give a few prompts. Some will be general. Some will be more specific. And I'd just like to ask you to be in this mindset and attitude of prayer and pray out in your own quiet way either what comes to mind when I mention the phrase or if I'm more specific to pray on that thing. This kind of kingdom work happens best when we don't think in broad generalities, but we think in terms of the things that fit within the subject in our sphere of influence, things we intersect with. So in a sense, we're not just praying for some sort of invisible power to Move whatever it is we're praying for, but we're praying for God to be at work and to be at work in and through us in situations that we find ourselves in. So let's pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Pray that out however you want to. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it relates to racism. Think of your sphere and pray for the kingdom of God to come and for the will of God to be done in your sphere to right the wrong of racism, to bring shalom to the anti-shalom of racism.
thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the political divisions of our nation. Where do you see it? Hear it. Feel it. Pray for the kingdom to come and for God's will to be done in those political arenas where there's tension and fracture. I'd like you to think of someone you know who wants nothing to do with God, has turned away or was never present to or aware of God, a neighbor, a friend, someone from the past, someone in the present. And pray God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done in that person's life and heart. kingdom come thy will be done in our president's thoughts and hearts pray that thy kingdom come thy will be done in the thoughts and decisions and attitudes of our Congress. Lord, heal these tensions. Move our political leaders off of their own egos and give them a vision of your shalom and their part in bringing forth your shalom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done for our governor. Pray for him. Been struck by for several weeks now about how challenging this pandemic is for those who live alone. They're, they're isolating, not with others, but by themselves. So pray for those who are single, those who are divorced, those who are widows or widowers, those who have endured these months alone. Pray for God's peace and companionship for them. And if you know someone by name, pray for them by name. This is extremely challenging for children. I'm sure you have a name or two of 
children you know and love. Take a moment and pray for them. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Lord Jesus, it is so good to gather together and remind one another of reality, of truth, of who you are and of your kingship over all things. We continue to pray for your guiding, powerful hand to be upon this world. We pray for this virus to be defeated. We pray for those who are sick to be rescued. We pray that you will turn the tide against this. This is your world. Each person walking upon it was created by you and for you. We ask you to come and to be present in the midst of this in ways perhaps we've not seen before. We continue to pray for our church and I pray especially for the individuals who are in this room right now. The work that they do in their job, their family life, their marriages, their relationship with their children or their parents, their journey in school, the careers they are choosing, the decisions being made, their finances. I would pray and ask you to bring peace, bring a sense of your comfort and presence to each one in this room today. So we give you ourselves, we give you these prayers. We pray that you would move against the principalities and powers that would resist these prayers and bring forth your kingdom and your will and your shalom for the glory of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, it is good to be here. It is, I I, I don't know why this has struck me two weeks in a row now, but uh, just this idea that at this 11 o'clock service, there's nobody else but those of us who are here. It just is, for some reason, it's a game changer. First service, it's really weird. I feel like a televangelist because... Every now and then I look straight back and talk into that goofy camera, and it's really weird. So I'm, I'm actually glad that it's just us in the room, and we can walk through this, and, and uh, it just feels more authentic to me. So thank you for, for being here. As you know, water parks sometimes have a wave pool, and the wave pool runs on a cycle. For a while, the water is calm. It's like any other swimming pool, but after a few minutes, the water starts to ever so slightly rock back and forth in this wave pool. And when that happens, you sometimes can hear younger people that start screeching and yelling, and everybody in the pool knows what is about to happen. And the water keeps picking up momentum, and soon the whole pool is swaying, and it's churning, and eventually waves are crashing, and people are enjoying it. And our summer series at Oak Hills is called Churnings. And it refers to the inklings and the stirrings that we have within that sometimes indicate God is moving in us. He's speaking to us. He's 
calling us in some direction, nudging us in some direction. He may be awakening us to a new idea, something we haven't thought about before. Maybe in our life or in the life of our family, he's opening up a new path for us to venture down and explore. He may be leading us into a new season of our lives. It's just the the timing has come to the point where there's a new chapter about to begin and he's leading us toward that and it's coming through one of these churnings. It could be that through one of these churnings he's deepening our faith in some way. He's teaching us something new. He's making us aware of ourself perhaps in a fresh way or of who he is. It could be that one of these churnings has to do with an attitude that we have had or a belief even that we've had and the Spirit of God is beginning to alter that attitude. He's beginning to reshape our conviction in whatever way. God on the move, churning in us to cultivate His will and His way. And this is sort of stating the obvious, but it is really good for us to pay attention when this is happening to us. Now, it seems to me, just like the wave pool, churnings like this only happen occasionally. I'm not sure it's a predictable cycle but I think it is a cycle. I don't think it's happening every day or every moment or, or on necessarily even on a regular basis. These churnings happen now and then, it seems to me, and they come in a variety of forms. It may come in the form of a persistent thought we can't seem to shake, something that is gotten into us and we keep returning to it. It's a thought that's there, and no matter how hard we try to busy ourselves with other things to ignore it, it stays there. It could be that that persistent thought is a churning and God may be behind it. It could be a verse from the Bible that somehow we've come across, we've read, we've heard, and there's something about that verse that is branded into us. And we keep returning to it, uh, just revisiting it and, it, and it's still there. It could be that we were in a conversation with somebody and something came up in the conversation And as we were talking in that conversation, something kind of etched into us and we've not forgotten it and it's still there and it keeps coming back up on our thoughts. That could be a churning prompted by the Spirit of God. It could be a desire that we have. We can't explain why it's there, but not only is it there, circumstances and situations in our lives continue to confirm the desire within us. We continue to see it show up in life, in conversations, and in other situations. It's good to pay attention to these churnings. It's good to not rush past them. It's good to pray on them and through them. And it is especially good to share these things with other people when they're going on within us. So I just want to stop for a second. Again, smaller group, just us. And I just want to kind of invite you another level into this topic into this idea of churning. I just want to ask you to think about this. What is God up to in you in recent days? What is he churning in you uh, these days? What have you been learning? What have you kind of heard him saying to you? What sort of persistent thought won't go away? What sort of new invitation do you hear? And as much as you want to say, oh, it can't be, it can't be, it can't be, it's staying there and it's actually getting bigger in you. Could be that that's a churning. Well, I want to describe a churning within me. It's a rather recent one. It actually kind of sprung up earlier this week, and I've not been able to shake it. And I want to describe this churning, and then I'm going to unpack it in the rest of the time. But I want to describe this churning using an image from my childhood. In the summertime when I was a kid, we would sometimes make the long drive from Wisconsin 
to Ohio to visit my grandma. And I would sit in the back seat along with my brother, and I, was, I would just sit there and look out the window. And I can remember this like it was yesterday. You know how you're just bored to death, it's just going on and on and on. And I would look up out the window, and I would see telephone wires or electric wires. And I would just follow them with my eyes, and they'd kind of swoop down like this as we were driving and then they'd swing back up, and then they'd kind of connect into the next pole and drop down again. And I would just get mesmerized by that and watch that for what seemed like hours, but was probably about 120 seconds. And then I would sort of uh, kind of daydream, just sort of hours on end, just looking out the window and all sorts of thoughts and imaginations would happen and think about that. And then occasionally, of course, you stick your hand out the window and hand surf for a while and your hand bounces up and down as you're flying down the freeway. And then one of the things that I always did is I would check the distance remaining on the trip by looking at a road sign to see how far we were from where we were going. So we were headed to Columbus, Ohio, and I would look and I would see this sign, Columbus, 279 miles. And after seeing this, I would sometimes vow, you know what, I'm not going to look at another mileage sign for a long, long time. And I would sort of hope that 70 or 80 or 90 miles would vanish and we would be that much closer. And if I didn't look, just how much mileage was being eaten up. And I'd finally, after what maybe seemed to me like 90 minutes or two hours, I would make the decision, I'm going to look at the next mileage sign and see how many miles were eaten up. And so I'd look out the window and I'd just keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And then it came, Columbus. 268 miles. <laughs> and I would just collapse in depression. I hated every inch of those long drives worse than green peas or broccoli. I dreaded every turn of the tire. Every mile just was agony. Is this ever going to end? My brother and I would constantly ask our dad, when are we going to be there? He'd say, when we get there. Where are we? He'd say, in the car. How much longer? Ten minutes less than the last time you asked. Just went nowhere. So the long drive was just a necessary evil between where we were and where we ultimately wanted to be. And this week it kind of hit me. I've been thinking of this pandemic in a very similar way. As a disruption, I have to endure so that I can eventually return to what we all call and think we know of as normal. I've had kind of a long ride in the car attitude and posture about this pandemic for a while, just waiting for this to be over so I can return to what we all know and call normal. And I don't think that's particularly wrong of me. I think it's probably fairly normal to think like that. But it's kind of pushed a pause button in me I've recently become aware of. It's kept me in this holding pattern. Or put it this way, I found myself drawn into this mindset of just biding time until this is over, until I can return to normal. And I think I have, in some ways, missed God on this long drive through COVID-19 because all I'm thinking about is it ending. How many miles left in this virus? When are we going to be there? but I think I'm missing what God is doing right now at this mile marker of this long journey. 
And this week, something shifted during a Zoom conversation I had with our own Judy Alexander. Some of you know who Judy is. When her, her, when we this Zoom call ended, I had this conviction. It just sort of crashed into me. And the conviction one it's, was, it's time to embrace this pandemic and accept it because it may linger for a long time. Or put it differently, this could be a really long drive and there may be many, many more miles to go. And it is not spiritually healthy for me to keep waiting for the return of normal because that mindset dulls me to what God may want to do in and through me right now during the pandemic. And it got me thinking about a story from Israel's history, one of my favorite stories in Israel's history. For the Jewish people of the Old Testament, The center of the universe was the city of Jerusalem. It was the city of God. His temple was there, and it was believed his presence was there, and his presence was there because his presence was in the temple. His work in this world was headquartered in the city of Jerusalem. So the Jews believed God would always protect the sacred city of Jerusalem and never let it fall. But around 600 B.C., the big bad Babylonians started marching toward Jerusalem, and in 597 B.C., they cast captured the city, and many who survived the first siege of Jerusalem were forced to walk, get this, about 900 miles back to Babylon. I mean, that's a cardio workout for you. So all of a sudden, these Israelites who were living in this sacred city of Jerusalem and they thought would never be touched because God was present there and protecting it, all of a sudden, they're on a long ride, you might say, from Jerusalem to Babylon, and when they got there, they began to live as exiles in Babylon. And we can imagine how their exile triggered all sorts of hard questions, like, where is God in all this? You imagine one foot in front of the other for 900 miles, months and months and months of walking, late night sitting around the fire, where is God? How is he letting this happen to us? Has he abandoned us? Does he even care? There actually were false prophets that were in Babylon with the Jewish people who were living in exile there. And these false prophets were telling them that they were only going to be there for two years and it was going to be kind of a a prison sentence for two years and then they'd get pardoned and God was going to fix everything and everything was going to return to what they knew of as normal. The only trouble was these prophets were lying to them. These prophets were saying exactly what the people in exile wanted to hear, even though it wasn't true. And so a real prophet, a guy named Jeremiah, wrote a letter. He was in Jerusalem. He wrote a letter to the Israelites who were living in exile in Babylon, who were being fed this nonsense by all these false prophets. And that brings us to our scripture reading. So why don't you stand for it? It's from Jeremiah chapter 29. And I'm going to be reading verses 4 through 11. And this is the letter Jeremiah sent to these Jewish people living in exile in Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. 
Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, you may recognize that last verse. It's a verse that we oftentimes pull out of this passage and sort of like to hang on to for ourselves. But there's a whole bunch of stuff happening here. So I want to dive in and talk about finding God in the chaos. I have at times, maybe like you, I've at times struggled during this period of virus to keep my head above the waterline. If you read the news, you know these days every single article has something to do with the pandemic or it has something to do with racism. And this whole thing has slowly chiseled away at me. Just the other day I saw a headline. Here's what it read. U.S. approaching one of the most unstable times in its history, expert warns. And I'm just thinking, oh, that's, that's great. More good news. Sounds awesome. But here's what's churning in me around this. Maybe we are at our most unstable time. Maybe the world is actually collapsing. Maybe normal, as you and I understand it, is never coming back. Maybe masks are here to stay. Just so you know, I ordered three Green Bay Packer masks. (laughs) They'll be here, and they'll be on me next Sunday. Greg, I know you want one. I'm going to let you wear one. In spite of all the gloomy realities, I just want to remind us, none of this is taking God by surprise. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are not having marathon meetings to try and figure out what should we do now. Maybe put it real simple, God is bigger than all this chaos. And you know and I know there are so many voices bombarding us every day from every direction, and each voice purports to define and state reality. So over here, this is true. But over here, the opposite of that is true. On the same news app, you click on it, the thing opens. Over here, one article claims reality is this. And right next door to that article is another article that claims the opposite of that is true. It's a whirlwind of confusion, chaos. And in the blare of all this noise, at least for me, God gets lost. Remember Babel in Genesis chapter 11. People huddled together, human beings huddled together. They all spoke the same language. They got together. They thought they could accomplish anything. They decided to build a tower that shot up far into the sky. Kind of this, we as humans can reach up and get to God. In fact, we are like God, but God had other plans for the human race, so we are told he confused their language and he scattered them in every direction. So the word Babel means confusions, confusion of language, can't understand, scattering. Babylon, Babylon, a place of confusion. 
a land of confusion. And God's people are now exiles in a land of confusion and chaos. It sort of sounds like now. The pandemic has brought confusion and chaos into each of our lives. Fascinating little detail at the beginning of Jeremiah's letter to these exiles who were living in Babylon. It's in verse 4. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And we can almost hear the collective uh, group of exiles say, oh yeah, that guy, him. Forgot about him. What does he have to say to us? This is what the Lord Almighty says to those in exile. It's this jarring wake-up call. This is what God says to those who are living in exile. Not what we think, not what we want, not what the false prophets are saying, not what the political experts are saying. This is what the Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God says to those living in exile. And what does God say? He says right out of the gate in verse 4, he says he carried his people into exile. I carried you from Jerusalem to Babylon. Yes, the people brought on this destruction by their own sin and stubbornness. And yes, the Babylonians are responsible for all sorts of death and destruction for which they will be held accountable. But God clearly says he is present and he is active in the confusion and in the chaos. And he's using the exile and he's using the Babylonians to bring forth his will and his purposes in his people. See, the Bible is full of stories where people and entire nations end up in big-time predicaments. But it keeps coming back to this simple idea. God is bigger than the circumstances. And because God is almighty and he's, un, he's powerful and unfazed by the tumultuous circumstances this world faces, because he is God and because he's pledged to his people forever, he says to those who are in the midst of chaos and fear, and uncertainty, he says these astounding words in verse 5 to those who are afraid, who those who are in confusion, those who are in chaos, those whose normal is long gone. He says these two remarkable words. He says, settle down. Settle in. Embrace the situation. Because God is still God And God is still with you. See, inherent in our Christian faith is an attitude, a posture, an orientation, we might say, that looks up to God as the one who is supreme over all other voices, all other powers seen and unseen, all other authority. This guy, Peter Kreft, smart guy, writes this, the world is not the impersonal machine it seems to be. Have you ever seen one of those picture puzzles that mask a face as jungle leaves or bushes? Find the man in the picture. Once you do, the picture never looks the same again. It's not a jungle, but a man. Once you see the face of God, the world is forever transformed into his features. Let me try it this way. If you look at Babylon, if you look at the confusion... If you look at the chaos, you'll never find God. But if you look at God, if you 
focus on Him, if you stare at Him, you will eventually see the role of Babylon in His purposes. It's called perspective. It's the orientation of a Christ follower. If I look at the circumstances for too long or listen to the noise for too long, I get, God gets elbowed out of my way. But if I orient toward Him, if I look at Him, if I begin with Him, then perspective is recovered. There's this great couple of verses I want to read from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. This comes at a very important time in the nation of Israel's history. They are gathered together. David has everybody there. A whole assembly is gathered. They're going to build a temple. And they've brought forth, uh, they've had this offering, and it's been a great offering. And so David says these words that reminds us of God's supreme place. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you, You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Just sit back down in the reality of the times we're living and hear these words again. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head Overall, see, part of the churning in me is to pivot back toward God as the almighty and powerful and eternal king over all the earth, over all the chaos and over this virus. It's an attitude. It's a posture. He is still God in the midst of the chaos and not just a static God who is fixed and frozen and non-essential, so he's not doing anything. His purposes cannot be thwarted by a virus, so he is at work to bring forth his will. He's up to something in you. He's up to something in you. And he's up to something through you right now in this pandemic. Let's talk for a minute about experiencing God in the chaos. I absolutely love the upstream against the grain flow of this scripture reading from Jeremiah 29 because it absolutely contradicts everything the people of God thought. It goes against the grain. It absolutely turns them inside out. It's not even close to what they were thinking. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Oh, I know what he's going to say. No, you don't. It's going to be this. No, actually, it's that. Not even close. And we got to feel this in order to hear how radical this is. They're thinking one thing. He says something completely different. They're predicting this. He says that. It's absolutely 
counter-instinctual and against the grain. The exiles are far from home. They're far from their beloved city of Jerusalem. They were God's people for a time living in the promised land. God had established for them. But now this has all happened. They've been taken from the land. They've been exiled in a land far away amongst people who worship and serve idols and other gods. And here's the key thing. The people living in exile in Babylon had absolutely no concept of their God actually being with them in Babylon. When they walked out of Jerusalem to Babylon, they were walking away from God and he was staying behind in the city, or so they thought. Then these false prophets come along and say, hey, you know what, don't worry, this is only going to be a two-year deal, then we'll go home and we'll be back to normal. But Jeremiah comes along and he says a couple things. He says, these prophets you're listening to, they're lying. They're telling you exactly what you tell them to tell you. You want to get out of here. And they're telling you you're going to very soon. It's a lie. And the voices in your head are lying to you as well. So what you think is true isn't true. And what you think is going to happen isn't going to happen. Other than that, you're right on track. So God says to those who are living in exile, this is what he says. It's an astounding thing. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I'll say it again. This goes completely against everything the exiles wanted. What did they want? To get out of here. And God says, settle down. Live your life. Plant gardens. Build houses. Be present where you are. It goes against everything the prophets said because they said, this is only two years. And God comes along and says, actually, this is going to be 70 years. Some of you are going to die in Babylon. In short, here's what God says. Bloom where you are exiled. Let's make it fit us. Bloom where you're isolated. Let's make us fit us a little more. Bloom in the midst of a pandemic. Live. Pray, minister, serve, be an ambassador, work, and expect to encounter God even in exile, even in isolation. Why? Because he is right there with you. See, God's story of redemption and restoration continues to unfold during difficult circumstances. God's work in you, in me, continues in hard situations. God's work in our church continues in hard situations. It's not on hold. It's not been paused. It's not to be endured by looking out the window on this long ride and daydreaming until it's over. Because God continues to be present with us and you and I and we can actually experience Him. See, our normal routines and rhythms have been disrupted for sure. But God has a long-standing reputation for moving in times of upheaval and disruption. When our normal routines and rhythms are interrupted, that's the time to really pay attention. What is God up to? Because a fresh space often opens in our lives where we can experience God in a fresh way. And you know something, and I know it too. There is immense magnetic power 
pulling us away from an experiential encounter with God during this pandemic. There is immense magnetic power trying to pull us off of an orientation toward God and onto something else. It's all the noise. It's all the voices. It's all the input. It's all the distraction. It's all the stuff that's happening, both visible and the principalities and the powers invisible that are trying to pull us off course so that we no longer have our orientation toward God. See, we are living in exile from normal. And what's it churning in me, if I'm just speaking to myself, what's churning in me is something like this. Accept it, you dummy. This season of my life is being lived at a time when the world is facing a pandemic. Great. Period. Now what? What do I do? What's my posture? How about this? How am I experiencing God in this pandemic? What is God saying to me in these strange days? How am I experiencing God in my work? How am I experiencing God in the Zoom meetings I have? I mean, if God can use a Zoom meeting, he can use anything. But how, how am I experiencing God in these Zoom meetings? How about when I go to the store? How am I encountering him? Am I even thinking about this? Is it even on my radar? Or has the magnet pulled me so far off of this, I'm just looking out the window watching the wires bounce by, waiting for this to end? Am I entering into this season of isolation and spending any time with God? Learning to pray. Listening to what His Word has to say. Have I done that at all in this time of isolation? Am I learning to experience God in the pots and pans and simple endeavors of life in this isolation? So a couple of important practices, it seemed to me, we need to be reminded of, especially in a time like this, to help us experience God. And one of them is to be in the Scripture. The being in the Bible is foundational to cultivating a heart that can see and hear what God is up to within us and around us. What does that mean? That means that you and I need to have some version of this, whether it's an actual one or a, one on your phone or wherever, and we need to open it on a regular basis, on our own. And we need to read it and listen to it and let it speak to us and just stand in it. And if we can go back to this wave idea, this wave pool for a second, if we, we just kind of go back and we... Uh, wade into the Bible and just sort of stand in it. And every now and then, as we're standing in it, the water will start to rock and roll, and something we read will churn in us. It'll catch our eye. It will sing to our soul. It'll open up a new thought, might convict us or encourage us. Reading Scripture, listening to Scripture, finding a corner of our house or a room or our backyard, and being in the Bible without trying to rip it apart or conquer its meaning. I think we may need to discover this practice again. There are Bible apps all over the place. Reading plans all over the place. There's only one way that any one of us could not uh, find a way to be in the Bible on a regular basis. There's only one way these days, and it's this. We don't want to be. Just simple as a selection each day or 
every couple of days just to chew on it, to step into it and just stand there and listen to it and see what happens. The other foundational practice is prayer. And I'm not going to go all the way into this, but obviously there's many ways to do this. But one of the things that we have been doing since the pandemic began is having a Wednesday night prayer meeting on Zoom, church-wide Wednesday night prayer meeting on Zoom at 6.30 every Wednesday night. This is the thing that we often refer to as our community prayer. And when we, when things were normal, we would do it the second Wednesday of every month. We would meet upstairs in the library. Since the middle of March, when the pandemic sort of sunk its teeth in, we've obviously stopped meeting in person, and we started meeting virtually through Zoom. And instead of meeting once a month, we started meeting every week, every Wednesday night at 6.30. And we've done this now for the four months that this has happened. And I want you to hear this. You can take it or leave it. It's up to you. But I have to tell you that I have experienced God in those virtual prayer meetings in ways that have surprised me to know it. I have heard God coming through Scripture as it is read by other people. I have heard God speaking. I have found those prayer gatherings to be some of the most soul-nurturing practices I've engaged in ever since this thing started. And I have to tell you, I have been routinely shocked by the way in which God has shown up in those prayer times and met me and met the group and spoken to us. Now, i got an idea what some of you are thinking. you got to be kidding me, right? A prayer meeting? Getting together with other people and praying? I don't pray in public. That's weird. That's awkward. How could that be so profound and so meaningful? And the answer is, I don't know. But we get together on Zoom at 6.30 every Wednesday night, and something profound has been happening. And it's not just me saying this. No, there's not, you know, it's not like there's people are rising from the dead as a result of it. But in another sense, maybe we are. There's a sense of, what's God doing here? It's just profound time with others, with God. And I know that everybody who's been to our monthly prayer meeting would say this. The, the live in-person prayer meetings that we had upstairs in that room for years on the second Wednesday of every month, what has happened the last four months on Zoom, I can't even believe I'm saying this, the prayer times on Zoom the last four months have been infinitely more profound and powerful than any of the ones that I'd been to that were in live and in-person and upstairs. And I have no idea how to explain that. Other than... Somehow, God is showing up in the midst of And that engagement in prayer, that work of prayer, has been profoundly meaningful and impactful. And it's been a way of encountering God in the midst of this pandemic. So it's open to anybody. You can go on any one of our app or uh, website or whatever and find the link. Everybody's invited. You don't have to pray. I don't particularly care if, you know, X number of people come. That's not really the point. But it is a meaningful, powerful time, and I'd invite you to give it a shot if you're looking for a way to encounter God. Last thing I want to talk about is reimagining ministry in the midst of all this chaos. One of those head-scratching, you-can't-be-serious things God said to the people in exile in Babylon was in verse 7. 
He said, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Once again, jump back into the mindset of a Jewish person who walked 900 miles to Babylon and is now living in Babylon. The center of the universe is back in Jerusalem. God is back in Jerusalem. All good things that happen, happen from God, and God is in Jerusalem. The Israelites are the Lord's people. He's chosen us. We are his people. We are the flock of this shepherd, God the king. And everything that good that happens comes from him, but it happens back in Jerusalem. Now we're over here in this pagan place called Babylon that God has brought us to. And here we hear this stuff. Pray to the Lord for the shalom of the city where you're actually living. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And you can almost hear God's people say down through the centuries, Huh? Is he nuts? Babylon is anti-shalom in every way, shape, or form, and you want us to seek and pray for its shalom? God has lost his mind. And I love the way God routinely shatters the iron molds we use to interpret and explain and box in what God is like and what he does. See, God's imperative for you to love your neighbor has not been suspended because of this pandemic. And if we are his disciples, then we are his ambassadors. And the work of being an ambassador for Christ is essential work during a pandemic. And so we are to find creative ways to be his ambassadors and to serve those in need. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a minister of the gospel. If you're a Christ follower, then you're a minister of the gospel. And you are a minister of the gospel right now in the midst of this pandemic. Some of the most vibrant churches in history are those who have not been able to meet together very much for whatever reason. The underground church in China, the church in Iran, places where you can be killed for meeting and worshiping have nonetheless developed these vibrant Christian fellowships. So is it possible, I say to us, that God is using this pandemic to help us reimagine church and creatively find ways to minister to each other and to minister to the people in our community? I'm just out of the box here rambling. Don't hold me to any of this. Don't yell at me. Don't get mad at me. If you have gripes, complaints, whatever, I'll give you Lorraine's address or email. But maybe it's time for a reimagined small group ministry. Maybe this pandemic, instead of looking out the window and waiting for it to be over so we can get back to normal, maybe now is the time for us to reimagine a small group ministry organized by geographical area instead of shared interests or life situation similarities, so we actually live closer to each other. We can connect to each other on Zoom until this thing ends, and we can also see each other when we're driving by, and maybe by throwing everybody together, not because they're similar or because they think the same way, we throw people together because they live near each other, and maybe we can actually learn how to live on mission together in those geographically arranged small groups, and now here we are in the area where we already live, connected with others who call Oak Hills their home, and we might actually be able to be present in that geographical area in ways that we can't when we're driving all the way to the other side of town to meet with people who we're similar to but we don't live near. 
Maybe it's time to reimagine that. Maybe it's time to take all of the small groups and say, let's wrap them up by October 1st. Lorraine's getting very nervous right now. Let's wrap them up by October 1st. Let's put everybody back into the hopper. Let's shuffle the thing all around again. Let's get X number of leaders and let's deal everybody back out based on where they live and say two things. Let's nurture relationships and let's be on mission together. And maybe now's the time to do it. Well, what about the long-standing connections we have? Yeah, okay, you'll figure out how to keep those things going. But maybe it's time to roll the dice. Maybe it's time to reimagine. Wait a minute. Maybe normal's not coming again. Maybe God is in this Babylon experience. Maybe settling down means let's be creative and imaginative right now and see if we can't follow his lead. Is it possible God is using the pandemic to scatter us as ministers of the gospel in a fresh way? To serve one another in a fresh way? To serve the people in our town in a fresh way? Help meet their needs in the power of Christ? Let me give you an example. I'll wrap up with this. And this is where this all started. This is where this churning really kicked into gear for me. I mentioned this conversation I had with Judy Alexander earlier this week. Judy is a key leader in the heart ministry, the homeless ministry that we have in town that Oak Hills is supportive of. And I was on a Zoom call with Judy this past week. And she brought all this passion and all this energy that she was talking about how the homeless shelter is going to occur in January of 2021 through March of 2021. And she's going on and on about these fresh ideas, these new ideas in light of the pandemic and so on and so forth. The whole time she's talking, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, uh, Judy, we're in a pandemic. How are you going to have a shelter? with a bunch of homeless people in all these different places. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, it's like a board hit me upside the head. And I'm going, listen to her. She's thinking creatively. She's reimagining how to do this. She's engaging in the reality of right now, a pandemic, to try to discern how might God change the way we minister to those who are homeless. How might God be restructuring things so we can serve those from January through March who are homeless. Because here's the thing. The rain doesn't stop because there's a pandemic. And people actually live under trees when it's raining if they don't have anywhere to go. And I'm just listening to Judy and I'm going, boy, the passion, the energy, the creativity, the flexibility, the risk. My goodness. I need some of that. So what might it look like for us as Christ followers to seek the shalom of the city where we actually live right now and pray for shalom in the city where we actually live right now and work for shalom in the city where we actually live right now during a pandemic. Racism is churning all over the place and it's been churning in the soul of our church. It's been churning in me. It's been churning in some of you. What would it look like to pray for and work for shalom as it relates to racism right now? There are lots of elderly people in our church and outside of our church who can't have visitors from their friends or their family. How do we as the people of God pray for and then work for shalom for them 
to somehow find creative and imaginative ways to minister and care for the elderly right now who are in such severe isolation? How do we care for single people in our church and beyond our church who are living alone and do not have the luxury of isolating with a family? What can we do? What creative things can we do? What about all those who have lost their job during this pandemic? I'm not talking about just people with, within our church. I'm talking about those outside our church. What could the church fueled by the power of Christ, do for those who've lost their jobs. What creative and new ideas and reimagining could happen so we could care for those who are without a job? How about college students who were looking forward to heading off to school and now they're going to stay home with their parents and they're going to do their college online? High school students the same, elementary school students in some fashion or form the same. What can we as a church do to minister to these needs in our own town, in our own community right now? What about teachers who are now extra exhausted as they prepare all these things and try and bring them through a computer screen to their students? How about parents who work, who have small kids, and now they got to deal with school and they got to work with their kids during school? What are they going to do when the fall comes? Is there something that we could do to minister to those right now? And on and on and on it could go. So we can just ride along and look out the window and daydream and watch the wires go by and look at the mileage signs and keep asking ourselves, when are we going to be there? How many more miles until this thing is over? Or we can pray for and seek shalom in the city where we actually live right now during a pandemic. I want to ask you to close your eyes if you would. We're going to wrap up. But I want to just ask you to pray. One more time. And this time, this is solely for yourself. A little interesting verse in Philippians 2 that seems to have particular meaning and impact in the time in which we're now living. It's Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'd like you to pray about this. What good work has God prepared in advance for you to do during this pandemic? For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do, dot, 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 during a worldwide pandemic. Sounds like a little bit more than look out the window and wait to get there. Think about that. You were rescued by God and brought into His family. And you, with your unique gifts, past, personality, skill, training, passion. He's got work for you to do. To bring forth shalom in a broken, fractured world during a pandemic. Take a moment and ask Him to show you what that is.